Please rise as we read God's word together from Malachi chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 10 to 17 here this morning. Hear the reading of God's word. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profane the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord has witnessed between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, How have we wearied him? By saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, Where is the God of justice? So far, the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your word. And we know and we acknowledge that often, Lord, you have told us that your word is a two-edged sword. A sword that pierces our hearts and our souls. But we also know that your word is a balm. A balm to our hurting hearts and lives. So Lord, pierce where we need to be pierced. Aid where we need to be aided. Wash over us with your grace and mercy. Guide my words to the people gathered here today. May your words mold and shape us to be more like Jesus Christ. It's in his strong name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Remember the Alamo. <laughs> give me liberty or give me death. Don't tread on me. Or perhaps we know this one. How about them cowboys? Some of us don't like that very much. They play my Broncos today and that's not going to be a good thing. These are famous rallying cries by many before a battle or a game, aren't they? Yes, we, we know them well. But whether it's a battle cry or a football game, we understand the power behind them, don't we? We understand the context. We understand the context of remember the Alamo, and we understand the context of how about them cowboys. Completely different context, but yet a similar understanding. A rallying cry to rally the troops to say this is who we are. We, we were fighting with one cause. And we're, we're, we're bound together by this story of pain or hurt or triumph or tribulation. We know rallying cries and we like them. That's why we remember these things, because they're good. The people of God know hurts and pains as well. The people of God know triumph and they know tribulation. The prophet Malachi was speaking into this very situation. In this situation where all of these things existed, where there was pain, where there was hurt, where there was joy, where there was triumph, and where there was heartache. 
But the message has been clear to the people so far. The message has been this up to this point. The Lord loves you. He loves you because His character demands that He loves you. But He also says, because of that, we are to give Him everything. We are to give Him everything that we have and everything that we are and not offer blemished sacrifices, but give the very best of who we are and of what we are and and, and how we are. This has been the message so far, and now He enters into a bit of another avenue of of prophecy, exhortation. The Lord loves you. Give Him everything. And that means our relationships too. That means give Him everything as we live and love in this community, in this family, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our families. The cry that is echoed here in Malachi is the same cry that Moses issued in the 6th chapter of Deuteronomy. It's not identical, but it echoes the same cry. And no, it's not remember the Alamo, but it's something like that. For in Deuteronomy 6, if you remember that chapter, the people of Israel have witnessed the Exodus events. They've been brought out of Egypt. They've had their, their bondage removed, their chains removed. They've seen the Pharaoh's enemy swallowed in the sea after they walked through on dry land. They have seen and experienced the Lord bringing them to themselves. And now they were in the wilderness. And they anticipated the entrance into the promised land. They were hoping for this, for this is what God had promised them. It's in this situation, this anticipation of a promised land, and this excitement the Lord chooses to give them the keys to how they to live well in this land. Into this land that He will give them. Into this land that they will inherit and possess. And He says, this is the commandment that I give you. These are the statutes and the rules that your Lord God commands you to hear. This is what Moses says to them in Deuteronomy chapter 6. These are the words from Verse 1, now this is the commandment. The statutes and the rules of the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And here then is the rallying cry of Israel and the cry that, that Malachi echoes in this second chapter. Hear, O Israel. Listen now. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's not remember the Alamo, but it's the battle cry of the people of Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This then is the rallying cry of Lord's people. As they consider and they realize what's before them and who they are and who their God is. It's a rallying cry in direct opposition to Egypt where they worshipped many gods and many different forces and powers and people and things. But they say we're somehow different. Our God's different. He is one God, and He is more powerful than any of these other gods, for He is our God, and He is one God. 
They recognize that this one God defeated Egypt and all of their gods. And he's brought them out of bondage and into freedom, out of slavery and into life. He is the one God, the Lord Almighty, who will give them their inheritance, will give them their identity, will give them a land to possess, for they were once without a name and now they have a name. Once they were not a people and now they are a people because of this Lord God. This is the God that now says because of this love and what He's accomplished for the people, He now gives us a community. A community to live in, to cry in, to laugh in, a family. They now live and love as a people of God. And they live and love as a people of God with a newfound hope, with newfound anticipations. For now, Malachi, they've been in the land They've seen the land come and go. And now the Lord instructs them to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And this then is how you will live well in the land. So hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The rallying cry of the people of the Lord. This is the cry that rang through the walls of the tabernacles. Rang through the walls of the tents of the families rang through the walls of the camps and rang through the walls of the temple of Solomon and even now to the time of Malachi. And Malachi picks this up. He remembers this rallying cry. And this is what it is in verse 10. If we look at verse 10, right away, have we not one Father? Do you remember your rallying cry, people of God? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Have we not one, Father? A rhetorical question, because of course we know these things. As much as we know, remember, at the Alamo, they remember, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And so in verse 10 and following is where I'm going to spend this time here this morning. And as the foundation of this message and of our understanding of what it means to live and to love in a community, the rallying cry of the people of Israel is what should ring in our minds. Ring in these halls this morning. The Lord our God is one. Malachi is asking the people of the Lord to remember. He is asking them to remember all that they have been taught. All that they've been hearing for all of their days. All they understood of what it means to live and love in a community. The rallying cry is the one that now echoes yet once again because the Lord is their God and He is one. You see, this rallying cry, this Lord gives them an identity. He gives them an identity as the Lord's people. He is their God. He is the one Father. He is the one that has created them. Created them not only in a physical way, like flesh and bones, bodies and skeletons, but He's created them in a spiritual way. He's connected them and He's molded them together as one body, as one family, His family, the family of the Lord. He has created their very identity, both physically and spiritually. And He asks the question, if this is true, and you remember this to be true, why are you acting the way that you are? If this is your rallying cry, then why do you live as if that doesn't mean anything in your life? Why do we act the way we act? Why do we do what we do? If we know this, 
And he asked the question more bluntly than even I would say, why are you a faithless people? Last week we heard Malachi asking the question, why do you give blemish sacrifices? And the priests had varying answers back and forth. And today he asks, why are you faithless? Now I must admit there's so much ground that we could cover in these seven verses. But for us here in this series in Malachi, my desire is to provide a simple and a plain way to understand God's will for our lives. I recognize that there could be any number of questions and any number of avenues to travel down, but my goal for this morning is to point out three temptations for us. The three temptations that Malachi is very blunt to point out to us and doesn't pull any punches. Those three temptations are, we have a temptation to break relationships with one another. We have temptations to marry unbelievers. And we have temptations to divorce. The wonder of God's word is amazing to me. The wonder of God's word as we walk through the word, we're faced with nearly every facet of life. And why we choose to walk through entire books of the Bible is for this purpose. It forces me, it forces us, to deal with the difficult things of life. It's not a matter of picking and choosing out of God's Word to say, well, this is an easy passage to preach on. Let's preach on this one. This will make us feel warm and fuzzy and and everything will be nice and easy and we can all walk out of here just really warm and happy. Maybe we will. But Malachi is punching to the gut. And he's doing it with hard punches. He's saying, here is who you are and here is who we are. Your temptations where you're being faithless is that you are breaking relationships with one another. You are marrying unbelievers and you are divorcing. So Malachi 2 has tremendous impact on our lives this morning because we face the same temptations. And this leaves with even more questions, doesn't it? It leaves us with a myriad of questions, and I freely confess that I will not be able to cover every nuance of each one of these temptations. I just can't. So my prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit will guide and protect my words as they go to you, in order that they would guide and protect us from temptation. And in particular, these temptations. With the rallying cry of the Lord, our God, the Lord is one, Malachi sets out to provide us with what the Lord's will is for our lives as we live and love in a community. As we live and love in a community, we are to be, bluntly, faithful. Not to be faithless. Malachi uses a phrase three times in verses 10 to 16, or uses three different phrases, I should say. In verse 10, he says, Why are we faithless to one another? That's the first temptation, right? In verse 11, Judah has been faithless. And then he goes on to say why he's been faithless. Judah meaning the camp, the tribe, the people of God, not just the one person, man Judah, but the corporate body of Judah, has been faithless to marry people that they're not supposed to marry outside of the covenant. And then in verse 14, you have been faithless to your wife of your youth. 
And as we know, the role of the prophet is to speak truth, to, treat, to, to speak truth about the sin at hand and the truth of the Lord. The sin of who the people are, and may I be bold to say the sin of who we are, is that we fail in keeping trust with one another. We fail to keep our commitments. Life in the community of the Lord should be defined by something else. Should be defined by order. Life in the community and the family of God should be defined by faithful commitment to one another. And yes, to the Lord. We are to be committed to oaths, to be committed to our promises, to be committed to, yes, our covenants. But the reality of the situation is that this kind of community erodes when we go into selfish impulses and selfish desire. So Malachi gives us a fairly easy rubric to follow in order to give us a check and a balance to say, am I that kind of person? Am I being faithless? Am I not upholding my end of the bargain? And those three things are this. If you turn back to me with verse 10, Malachi says this, we have one father. When we betray our trust, we betray the family of God. We deceive ourselves. We deceive each other and we deceive the Father. Do we acknowledge our Lord and our God as our Father, as our God? Are we committed to our Father, our Lord, and our God? Do we betray our trust with our Father and our God? If we do, we betray this relationship between a father and a child. We betray a trust. Malachi asks another question, or he says one more statement. We have one creator. If I were to be faithless to you, if I were to break my covenant with you, I act as though you and I are governed by two different creators. If we have one father, if it's true that our rallying cry, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and we both have the same father, and I break a commitment to you, then I'm saying my rubric is different than yours and I'm more important than you are. If I'm faithless to you, I break my covenant with you. I act as though you and I are governed by two different creators. I act as if my creator allows me to indulge in my selfish desires and indulgences and expects your creator to do the same. Or perhaps your creator is a different standard than mine. Your God has different standards for your life than mine. But wait a minute, we just acknowledge that we have one Father. But I deceive and I betray when I break covenant with you. In my selfish desires, I expect you to hold to a different standard than me. You should respect my rights. You should respect my opinions. And don't call me out on those things. However, if we both have the same creator, that dual set of accountability does not and cannot exist. If we have one father and one creator, our hearts are, are bound with one another and we rally under the cry, our Lord, our God is one and we have the same motives, the same desires and we are to love our Lord, our God with our heart, mind, soul and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. But wait a minute, I want my way and I don't care what your way is. I want mine. We deceive ourselves. 
And then Malachi goes on. We profane the covenant of our fathers. What covenant is he talking about? That was a covenant that was made between the Lord and Abraham. The covenant where the Lord said that he would bless Abraham, that he would make him a great nation, provide him with life, provide him with hope, and a promise that this was all of his offspring. And this includes you and me and Pharaoh and the celebration that we have this morning. This is the covenant that we celebrated even here and now. When we act as though God cannot or will not give us what is best for us, we say that covenant doesn't exist. We forget that covenant. I know what's best for me. God doesn't know what's best for me. I'm going to live my life my way. We profane the covenant faithfulness of our Lord when we do this. We deem what the Lord says is unnecessary in our lives. It's unimportant. Or at a minimum, doesn't apply to me. Malachi says we have one Father, one covenant, and one covenant made with us through Jesus Christ. And this is the signature of friendship and family and love for us. But Malachi recognizes he's been fairly hard. And he then urges the people and urges us to be the kind of people of integrity, of, of living and loving in this kind of community, to, to live and love with this covenant, this family, this Lord our God, the one God in mind, to live this way in all things. And so what does that mean as he sets out here in these few verses? In Malachi 2, 11 to 12, he specifically points out that one of the ways in which we ought to live is that we need to be equally yoked. We need to live with one another that are believers. He moves into the specifics of what this community looks like. He issues a statement and a couple of statements about marriage. In a unique way, Marriage defines the relationships of our community. Specifically, what it means to marry an unbeliever means to go against the community the Lord has established, according to Malachi here in Malachi 2. Malachi says when we marry for them, when they're marrying unbelievers, they're being faithless. The issue at hand for them and for us is an important one. That the person that the man of Judah was marrying did not love and trust and follow the Lord their God. In other words, what does that mean? For the people in Israel, if they, they were commanded, do not marry outside of the covenant family. This was the command given them. And so when they made the determination to say, well, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to go outside of the covenant family of God and find a spouse, what is that saying? What is that saying to the people in the community? What is that saying to the people outside of the community? And what is that saying to God? Basically, what that's saying is, my desires, my desire for indulgence, my desire for flesh, my desire for my own ways, is more important than the command of the Lord God. It doesn't matter what you say to me, God. I hear your, I hear your, your command to me, but I'm going to live my way and my direction. And it really doesn't matter what you say. I'm going to live my life the way I'm going to live my life. When we join with someone else, we are not joining ourselves to the Lord. In verse 12, Malachi states that this person should be cut off from the community. Those are harsh words. Why the significance? 
He's saying that those who walk in marriage with eyes wide open are placing their love and their fellowship and their intimacy and their passions not in the Lord, not loving the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, but they're placing it somewhere else. They're placing it outside of the Lord's provision. Okay. So now there's all kinds of things firing in your brain, right? There's all kinds of questions. There's all kinds of scenarios. There's all kinds of things. Well, Ryan, what about this? What about that? What if I'm married to an unbeliever? Hear me say this, right? I'm not saying that's impossible for an unbelieving spouse to be converted. I'm saying that is possible. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, that's very possible. And he even gives us scenarios in which that has happened. And so we live our lives in such a way that we hope and anticipate and pray that that will indeed happen. So what I'm not saying is that if you find yourself in that position, I am not telling you, go and remove yourself from that situation. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we live and we love and we engage with these people and we pray for our spouses that the Lord will do miracles and He will bring this man or woman into saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So hear what I'm saying and hear what I'm not saying. But what is being said, that if the choice is still available to you, settle in your mind here and now that you would join with one that has the same loves, the same joys, the same compassions, the same passions, the same burdens that you have, to join yourself with one that loves the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the prayer that we pray for everyone, for our kids, for our grandkids, for our friends, for our family. Malachi then turns to a final temptation, that of divorce. The Lord has refused the offering of the people. Why? Because they've been faithless to the wife of their youth. Why has this enraged the Lord? Because marriage is a covenant. The life of a married couple is rooted in the commitment of a covenant. Not in emotional kind of satisfaction. Not in any kind of flimsy way. But a solid covenant. And again, you're having scenarios flashing in your brains. What about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? Hear me say this. There are reasons for divorce. There are reasons to be divorced. I'm not going to take the time to go into all of that right now, but there's not to say that we're forever trapped in relationships that are dangerous, physically or emotionally. And the myriad of those types of situations... But hear me say the Lord's desire for marriage is that it would remain in the covenant. Divorce is not a divorce of convenience. And this is what Malachi is really talking about here. I married this person when I was young and I don't like them anymore. And I want to indulge in my own ways, my own practices, my own selfish desires. And I'm going to remove myself from that relationship so I can pursue something that I want and I think I need. So he's really throwing in on inconvenience. I'm inconvenienced by this relationship and I no longer want to be a part of it because it just doesn't feel right anymore. No, this is a a covenant brought in by the Lord Himself. We live in a broken world with broken relationships. 
And there are indeed situations that require divorce. Hear me say that. But divorce of convenience and indulgence is not the answer. Marriage is a covenant made between a man and a woman. It is a covenant between a man and a woman with the Lord God at the core. Marriage is not done in a vacuum void of the Lord or void of a family. The Lord is party to it and through it. The reason God does not like divorce is because it breaks a covenant. It breaks a promise between a man and a woman and it breaks a promise between a man and a woman and the Lord God. When I have done marriage ceremonies, I say these words. There are three really important people here this day. There's Johnny and there's Susie and there's the Lord. If one of those doesn't show up, we don't have a marriage. And so when one determines to break that, it shatters the covenant. It shatters all of this. And so this is why the Lord doesn't like divorce. Because it breaks a covenant. It shows faithlessness. And there is reason the illustration of a bride and groom is so often used in Scripture. Because it's rich with intimacy. It's rich with understanding. It's rich with commitment. It's rich with love. And this is how the Lord views His church. We are His bride and He is our groom. As a bride adorned with beauty and grace, Isaiah 54 says this to us, For your Maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is His name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth He is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Friends, hear this this morning. The Lord is a Lord of compassion. He doesn't forget His covenants. He doesn't forget the covenant He has made with you. For He is our groom and He has compassion on His bride. So wherever you are in relationships this morning, and we all have relationships, may we acknowledge that none are precisely where we want them to be. We acknowledge that none are precisely where they ought to be. But remember that the Lord is gracious. That He is slow to anger. That He is abounding in steadfast love. He abounds in faithfulness. And He keeps His steadfast love for thousands. And He forgives iniquity and transgressions and sin. And He accomplishes through the covenant that He made through Jesus Christ. The covenant accomplished on the cross where He says, I am your God. Here is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And it's this Son who took this faithlessness and was faithful to humble Himself on the cross. To take our brokenness and to take it to the grave and to bury it there and to leave it there and to rise from that grave and remain faithful to us because He is our God. And so this morning, wherever we are in our relationships, 
May we cast our gaze not into our selfish indulgences, not into our own desires, but when we cast our gaze onto the cross, we cast our gaze on to our Savior. And may we see how wide and how vast is his love and compassion for us. May we see how wide and vast his faithfulness is to us and that he is our Lord and he is one. For it's there that we begin to understand that he is the one that allows us to love, allows us to live in a community. Why? Because he is faithful to us first. And this is how we live. This is how we love in a community. And so may our rallying cry be the same as what it was so many years ago. Hear, O church, the Lord our God. The Lord is one, and he is faithful to you. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we give you thanks that you are faithful to us and that you show us love and grace and mercy. Wash over us with this grace and mercy now, we pray. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.